welcome lauren welcome welcome to our podcast hello so twice a month your hosts bonnie and lauren watch a movie do some homework and create check your threading a podcast that serves up history psychology and perspective on the film we watched hello i'm bonnie i have a film theory background i am a lover of cats i also enjoy naps i'm a big fan of cult illuminati conspiracies cool. and um i enjoy spicy tuna sushi okay um <laughs> that was that was different from last time yeah it was <laughs> uh, <laughs> i'm lauren <laughs> And I have a background in creative writing and literature, and I like to binge research. And I guess since we're going off the rails, I'm going to try making baklava tomorrow for the first time. Hooray! Baklava. Yeah. Are you sharing? Yes. Good. You know my address. I do. So, June. Yeah. Guess what's in June? What? Pride! I wish I had one of those. Pew, pew, pew. <laughs> Air horn things. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Exactly. Yes. What are we? So, what are we watching for Pride? So this week, Lauren picked Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. That's right. All right. So let me tell you a little bit about Priscilla before Lauren kicks it off for us. The Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert is a 1994 Australian queer road film written and directed by Stephen Elliott. So the plot follows two drag queens, played by Hugo Weaving and Guy Pearce, and a transgender woman, played by Terence Stamp, as they journey across the Australian outback from Sydney to Alice Springs in a tour bus that they have named Priscilla. Along the way, encountering various groups and individuals. Take it away, Lauren. All right. So I did some research on the history of gay culture in Australia because that's not where I live. So I thought that might be a good place to start. Um, and was very interested to learn that, I mean, this part is obvious. It was very difficult to be gay in Australia historically. This may not surprise you, but Australia has a whole extra layer of bullshit going on because of it being a prison colony. So apparently the prison guards discovered that the only thing stronger than the Australian prisoner's fear of the guards was a romantic relationship. Gay and lesbian relationships are at the core of a lot of famous prison uprisings, uh, according to Rodney Kroom, who's a cool activist guy that I will tell you more about in a minute. And when there were people who were trying to transition Australia from a prison colony into an actual, you know, country, they were like, oh shit, hide the gays, we have to look good for England or whatever. So <laughs> it has this nasty homophobia and transphobia going way back to its origins. Okay. Um, so fast forward to 1994 when this movie is being made. And it's only very recently that places in Australia have started decriminalizing same-sex same relationships and sodomy. Like not even making it socially acceptable, but literally you can go to jail. So this Rodney Kroom guy, 
uh, he was one of the leading people to fight for the decriminalization push, and he was instrumental in getting same-sex relationships legalized in Tasmania, which, as you tipped me off to, uh, was the last part of Australia to legalize same-sex relationships, yeah. which didn't happen until 1997, after this movie came out. The fucking United Nations had to intervene in 1994, and then it still took them an extra three years to get something on the books. Wow. Um, so it was still literally illegal to be gay in certain parts of Australia when this movie came out. So it's extra important that it turned out to be so successful and popular and fun. You can't walk down the street holding hands without being scared. And then suddenly here comes Guy Pierce dressed as an anthropomorphic strawberry daiquiri. Mm -hmm. Wow. Um, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> Truly though, truly. Yeah. <laughs> So with the power of retrospect, we can sort of see that the 90s was this brief moment where the gay community was allowed to sort of catch its breath after being battered down by the AIDS crisis. Suddenly there's medication that's giving people hope. Um, there's mm. public discussion happening at, about acceptance of the gay and trans community. Mm -hmm. um, granted, a lot of work still needs to be done, but like this is an important moment. So Out Magazine describes the lasting legacy of Priscilla as happening at a time when everyone is regrouping and having a sort of moment of 70s-ish celebration of being alive. They say, quote, the indulgences of the liberated and promising 1970s that the AIDS epidemic so brutally stole from the LGBT community during a decade plagued by stigma and shame. Um, and I wow. just felt like that was a really important thing to recognize. Yeah. The last thing I was going to say is that the director, Elliot, talks about how the world is drowning in politics and any film that is gay-themed is drowning in its own politics, um, which is part of why Priscilla is just trying to celebrate camp. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So um, that's our sort of historical context for where we are when Priscilla is being made and coming out. Uh, and I think you were going to talk about the the film itself and the themes of the yes. film. Yes, indeed. Okay, so as always, we have to start talking about a film that's been made in the 90s <laughs> with films that were made and the culture of the 70s. So in the 1970s, there was a major theme in Australian cinema that centered around survival in the relentless Australian landscape, right? Mm, okay. Out in the bush, you know, just surviving. OG Mad Max. That's right. Movies like Walkabout, The Road Warrior, and its sequels, Mad Max, and movies like Backroads. So those movies are all centered deeply around, you know, surviving not only the bush, but what's in the bush. And by that, I don't mean the plants or <laughs> the scary spiders. What I'm talking about is the people, you okay. know. All right, fair. So, you know, the other thing is when I think about Australia, I think about a sort of performative masculinity, right? Mm -hmm. So Crocodile Dundee, Mad Max, Steve Irwin, Hugh Jackman. Uh, these are like men's men, right? <laughs> I, I just like to say Hugh Jackman maybe against his will, but yes. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> so even Terrence Stamp, who plays Bernadette, 
he's definitely like a high masculine actor overall in his body of work. Like I believe he was like the chancellor in Star Wars or whatever, oh, you sure. know. Yeah, yeah. So there's like there's something so satisfying to me about watching Priscilla, uh like a film comprised of like two drag queens and a transgender woman like gliding through the rough and tumble Australian outback on a cloud of like glitter. <laughs> feathers and like eyeshadow, you know. Totally, totally. It really undermines the machismo of Australian culture. So I like what this whole thing says. It says Priscilla is telling us that it doesn't take a crocodile hunter to survive in the outback. It doesn't take crocodile dundee. You know, these ladies can survive on their wits, their charm, their wisdom, their ingenuity, and they're not afraid to ask someone for help, you know, when they're in a bind, right? I love that. It's a really refreshing departure from the grizzled loner trope that we see in a lot of, you know, films set in survival mode, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Yes. And to me, that's the fundamental queerness of the film is like, find your community. So like this group of technicolor misfits Like, they continue through their journey, and they attempt to bring others into their world, even in uncomfortable situations. Like, uh, the Smiths were very clearly uncomfortable with them, but they were just like, hey, come with us, you know? And um, what you were saying about 70s camp, Mm -hmm. and how Stephen Elliott was saying that this movie is like a departure from the weighty seriousness of the political films that were being made at the time yes to celebrate camp so the aids epidemic basically tore in half queer cinema okay okay? so we have 70s queer cinema john waters kenneth anger and it's high camp there's a lot of camp in queer films in the 70s you know yeah and then the aids epidemic happens and even then queer cinema goes in two different directions because lesbian cinema becomes more of a political uh feminist cinema while gay male cinema becomes more about mourning interesting okay. epidemic okay. and then once we hit the early 90s and late 80s we smash into this uh new queer cinema so we have indie directors like isaac lucian greg Araki, gus van sant who were able to utilize uh videotaping to really focus on like the frenetic here and now of queer culture Okay. And there's a lot of heavy material, and of course there is. So going back to Priscilla mm-hmm. in 94, Priscilla is kind of a bridge, I think, between 70s camp and 90s new queer cinema, because it is very clearly a part of the new queer cinema. And at the same time, it's very clearly a part of the high camp 70s kind of genre. So to me, Priscilla becomes the bridge between the two. But I'm just going to go on because there's a lot. There's a lot to talk about with Priscilla. Please do. So uh, I was thinking about also how going through the bush is also just like a big metaphor for queer culture and, you know, gay male culture thriving under like the harshest circumstances, right? Which were still being endured at that point. And I would argue that it's also an allegory for living in the community at that time as well, you know? Yeah. 
we see the flora and fauna of all kinds, the colorful natural landscapes and the vast expanses of wilderness and that wilderness can be treacherous. Yes. But nature never questions who these ladies are. They're obviously meant to be there in the bush, uh, just another one of its many life forms roaming over the land. In an industrial mining town. Your point about sort of this moment in gay cinema is interesting to me because one of the things that I found when I was researching, and this is just a very small, isolated moment in the film, but like Adam makes this joke at the beginning of the movie, how he has this goal of climbing this mountain in full drag. And there's sort of a a climactic moment in the film when the three of them don their finest apparel and struggle up this, you know, this mountain with no trail. And they stand at the top and they're like, Look at this amazingness. So um, it's one of my favorite scenes, especially because at the end they're like, all right, fuck it, let's go home. <laughs> but, um, but when I was poking around reading about, you know, the history of, of gay culture in the 90s in Australia, there was this pattern um, of crimes where gay men would be targeted by posses of people who would literally force their victims off of cliffs to their deaths. Wow. This happened enough that Australian police have just now, in 2019, admitted that they did not investigate these crimes properly 30 years ago and have reopened a bunch of the cases. Holy shit. Like it was that bad. So I think it's important to recognize that this movie came out um, where there are three people standing on the edge of a cliff in their full glory mm-hmm. at a time when that's known in the Australian gay community as a very threatening physical location. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't know if Elliot did that on purpose, but in the power of retrospect, it feels important. Yeah. Oh, totally. Um, and so that does kind of play into the, um, the, the concept of the costumes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I initially wrote this, I was like, costumes are their own character. But I think that you could argue that Priscilla is also her own character mm-hmm. as the van. So, you know, in, in in my mind, there's an almost unreal quantity of costumes yeah. and wigs and ephemera just coming out of the van and out of every suitcase. And it's like, it reminded me of Mary Poppins bags. Totally. Every time they would take one suitcase with them into a hotel, and then all of a sudden they end up changing into like a million different outfits. <laughs> um, and I kind of love it because there's no expectation of reality whatsoever. Sure. Uh, and yet the perfect foil to that is that we see them physically working on their outfits. We see Bernadette go into town with a needle and thread. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's really cool because these are characters who are, who represent people who have historically had to make their own clothing if they desire to reach their peak fabulousness. Yeah. So I appreciate that there is a, a, a continued sort of presence of the costumes and the work that is put into making them yeah one last thing about the costumes i i think the discussion deserves a lot of time um so i'm only going to talk about the casino show okay while camping in the outback like literally 
and literally camping in the outback. In yeah, the outback. Okay. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> they obviously learned something from their surroundings because you can see it in their costumes later. Like mm. costumes were based on the natural world they experienced in the bush. Like there's the lizards and the ostriches and like you know, in the end, they're dressed up in these Victorian costumes with, like, the Sydney Opera House, like, kind of uh, tents that are going over themselves. And, like, it's an ode to Australia. And in a way, I kind of find that last costuming choice to be kind of a, I think of the Victorian style clothing mixed with the Sydney Opera House as kind of a, like, I don't know what the word is, but it's like the colonialism of their country. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's what I was seeing in their costumes at the end there. And I just was like so enamored because it's flowers and it's, you know, birds and feathers and like all this stuff that we saw and then we get to see them do, you know? Yes, It's like the grand culmination. Okay. So the code of the road trip film is something important to look at here when we look at Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. Okay. The basic code is, you know, these people are going to discover something about themselves more often than not. Mm -hmm. Sometimes something about the world at large. Conventionally, the roadster uh, is male and... It's usually the male point of view we see. You explore the themes of alienation, um, examining cultural and national identities, or a historical period. The other funny thing is that once again, in the early 70s, late 60s, was the like boom of the road film. Oh, so it's calling back to 70s cinema in like a second way too yeah yeah okay Okay. which i just realized just now so that's fascinating yeah this Um, is not easy writer (laughs) yeah yeah uh so road movies tend to focus on the theme of masculinity the man usually going into a type of crisis you know and then rebellion and car culture and self-discovery so it's really cool in this instance that it's like camp culture and it's the feminine identity and the queer identity and you know the rebellion is already set in that that culture you know yeah well and it's interesting because in a way it's almost like as they go on this trip together they are struggling to find like this knowledge about each other and their and like the various identities that are being represented in the LGBT community. So like, you know, gay, bi, drag, trans, they have these clashes at the, you know, in the first like half of the movie that they have to learn to sort of reconcile among each other for this trip to go successfully. And that's not even really the the destination, so to speak. I mean, arguably it is, but I think there's a secondary destination too. Yes. You know, there's always, with the the road film, there's always the promise of change and transition and, you know, some kind of epiphany. Um, And, like, it just, it keeps moving 
And you're right. At the end of the road, that's only the first part of their self-discovery. Then we kind of get to see that end part that I find to be the true discovery, which is like, you know, maybe you were looking at that club that you were at in a different light before you went. And then you come back home and it's like, it's home. You go home. Yeah. That's, it's where you, you're loved, you know? Well, the, the other thing for me was that when I first watched this movie, I'm pretty sure I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. And I remember being stunned that Tig and Marion get along. I thought she was going to be awful because he's so scared the entire time because she's this secret that he's kept from his friends. Um, and she's not awful. She's lovely. She, she's even a part of the community herself. And there's, you know, reference to her maybe being a lesbian or maybe bisexual. And his son, Ben, is also lovely and accepting. And, and I, Bonnie, I know you had a, a, the children are our future moment over Ben, which I thought was great. <laughs> like, if this is a road movie and the, and the ending is change, I think at least for Tig, it wasn't so much change as a reminder of like, oh, this is what's been here all along. And I just sort of let myself be blind to that, you know, out of fear and, and other reasons. Mm-hmm. So obviously there's still change in that. The change is him learning to not be afraid of it. But it was a shock to me, at, like the first time I watched it as a much younger person. Yes. Okay. Let's see. Now. Let's see. Okay. Question time. Question time. Question time. My question goodness. Is when we ask each other questions that the other person doesn't know are going to happen. Well, I guess, you know, you're going to happen, but you don't know what they're about. So. Right. I don't have time to prepare for the questions. That's correct. Pop quiz. So my first question is, did you see this movie before or after the Matrix? What an interesting question. I think, <laughs> I mean, is this a two-part question? Um, it, it's, it has a statement afterwards, which is that there's a whole no wait hold on I gotta answer all right okay I saw it before the matrix okay um the reason I'm asking is because I don't know what I saw first I can't remember when I saw Priscilla (laughs) okay Um, (laughs) because and the reason I'm asking is because there's a whole group of people who just know Mr. Smith from the matrix as a drag queen yes and I just want to know how that works for you personally. <laughs> right. Okay. So that's that's what made me remember that I had seen Priscilla first because okay. I was like, wait, that's Tick. <laughs> that's great. That's so, what makes me feel like I must have seen The Matrix first because otherwise, like, how would you not? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So what is your, oh, how can I say this? Like, okay, so you have your bare naked palette from from Urban Decay, right? Yeah, yeah. And you have all the other colors, right? Okay. So what is your non-bare naked uh, highlight of choice when you're wearing makeup? Wow, okay, this is a makeup choice, or makeup question. So um, I was so obsessed with this pink eyeshadow and and pink is the wrong word it's an inadequate word it's like iridescent so that when the light hits it it changes from like pink to purple Mm. and it's a loose eyeshadow and my friend gave it to me in a contact lens case she shook some out of her own 
like eyeshadow and gave it to me and I made it last for years but I never knew what brand it was or where it was from and when I ran out I was like I need you to give me more of this <laughs> and she did years later she hooked oh me up and I still don't know what the brand is I suspect it must be Urban Decay well why didn't she tell you the brand <laughs> I don't know I probably didn't ask it was more important for me to get the stuff yeah sure sure uh, the the irony is that I still have some and every once in a while I take it out and I look at it but like the idea of me now putting on iridescent pink purple eyeshadow is like so far against the grain that I, I can't deal with it put it away but I still have it in a contact lens case okay yeah maybe one day maybe, maybe one, one day, day. <laughs> good makeup themed question thank you um yeah all yeah. right so uh, <coughs> some, some takeaways some takeaways from uh from this from from Priscilla Queen of the Desert so I have one. Okay. I would like to recognize the um, problematic nature of the film. So Lauren and I both want to recognize that it's misogynist, it's racist, it's transphobic, and for all it did right, it's not perfect, and it's still an iconic film. It can be both. A lot of films are both, and that's the the hard part about film critique and, you know, enjoying the films we do despite their incredible flaws, you know? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. My only other major takeaway is really a reiteration of some things that you have already touched on, which is maybe more proof to me how true this is which is just that the the juxtaposition of the drag queens in the natural splendor of Australia, they are both extravagant, they are both outrageous, and they are both utterly natural. Oh, I love that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so true. So true. Um, yeah. So it made me really happy that you talked about that too. I was like, oh, this makes it feel like even bigger. Yes. Oh, um, my heart. Priscilla. <laughs> Well, um, thank you, Bonnie, for talking thank you. about Priscilla. And thank you, listeners, uh, for listening. Don't forget to hit the follow button to get notified when we release a new episode. You can also find all our contact information and an episode archive on checkyourthreading.com. See you next time. Bye. Bye. <laughs>